The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Did you know you can join the same podcast network trusted by superstars like Mark Marin and Anna Ferris? That's right. If you want to join the best of the best in podcasting, join or switch your podcast to Acast in just a matter of minutes. We've got the best tools to create, grow, and make money from your show. And that's why more than 92,000 shows love Acast. Join Acast with a three-month free trial to our paid plan using the code JOIN. Just visit go.acast.com slash join. Acast, we're the home of podcasting. We are once again proud to be sponsored by PE Passport. And this week we are going to talk about their moving maths and lively literacy resource. They have 80 maths and literacy plans available in the PE Passport. They are 80 fun, active learning opportunities designed to engage learners in securing those vital literacy and numeracy concepts across the primary school whilst being physically active. They are perfect for warm-up starters, brain breaks, reinforcing key concepts, ideal for intervention groups. They can be easily adapted to other activities and they're available as an additional resource with editable plans All you need to do is visit the website primarypepassport.co.uk. Remember, if you quote two Mr. P's, you will get 10% off a school subscription. Hello and welcome to another special edition of Two Mr. P's in a podcast with me, Mr. P. And the other Mr. P. We are back for another one of our Chin Wag sessions, and we are delighted to be joined by children's author royalty, writer of such books as Millions, The Outstanding Broccoli Boy, and The Great Rocket Robbery, screenwriter and all-round legend, it is Frank Cottrell-Boyce. Frank, how are you doing today? I'm so happy that you finally got my name right after 10 games. <laughs> <laughs> people won't hear that in the edit people will not hear that in the edit yeah it's been a long day it's been a long one day the director's cut will have all your different attempts to get my name <laughs> so how are you doing how, how's things good yeah very good same as ever yeah it's always yeah. good yeah i mean we always start these chinwags just by asking how how the past year has been. I know it's been dreadful in lots of ways, but has there been any positives for you throughout this whole sort of pandemic? Have you taken up a new hobby or whatever it no. might be? Any? <laughs> um, I, it was really, I mean, the thing is, it's not, if you're a writer, it's not that different. Yeah. My next door neighbor always says to me, oh, so you've condemned yourself to a life of homework. <laughs> but that is my life. I mean, what's been different is that normally geography is a, a good defence. So you can say, yeah, I'd love to come to your school in Shanghai. But, but of course, on Zoom, there's no obstacle to that. So I was, I've, been, I've done a lot of Zoom visits. Yeah. And um, I took a decision at the beginning that I was thinking about kids in, you know, kids who haven't got gardens because we've got a garden. I'm thinking yeah. that is the big dividing line. So I started these creative writing classes on Instagram where I'd set a task then on the Wednesday I'd like do a little clinic live and then on the Friday I would read them out right I'll tell you about that later but that became a job you know <laughs> I mean, it was a great job but it was very tough ta- I, I, I had this thought after a couple of weeks of like all these actors who, yeah. who were not busy 
So, um, so I would start saying to the kids, like, if you get stuff in on Thursday, I'll read it or oh, someone more exciting will. So I got like Johnny Vegas did a few, Steve Coogan did some, Maxine Peake did some. Oh, amazing. Like you know, amazing people reading your work. I mean, that must have been. Yeah. Well, they just, did they just join you on the Zoom with the with the kids or was it on your well, Instagram? I sent them the stuff on Thursday night because it would always only arrive Thursday night and say anytime Friday morning. Sanjeev Basker and thinking of, you know, loads of people did it. Oh, and it, I mean, like, I'm going to talk too much, aren't I? But the, no, the, one of the reasons that I became a writer was that one of my teachers, I'll talk about it later, but read a piece of work out loud. So I've always been aware that it's sort of transformative to hear someone else you read your work out. Yeah. So, what age What age were the kids? That, uh, well, I don't know, because they were just like, well, I mean, you could tell some of them put their ages on and some of them you could tell what age they were. Yeah. But it was just anybody, you know, there were some teenagers and there were some kids who were very little. Um, I can just uh, I can just imagine Steve Coogan going like, oh, I've got a piece of writing here from Adam, uh, age 32. Yeah. <laughs> That's on the mat. <laughs> the, best, the person who's like best was like, um, was Johnny Vegas. It was like ringing yeah. up through the night doing different takes going, is this right? I'm not sure I've got this. <laughs> it, was like, it, was so, it was so lovely. And I, I keep, like, so my teacher reading that piece of workout was a big moment for me. So I was, I'd like to think that some of those kids, that would be like an amazing thing. You yeah. Know? Oh, it definitely yeah. would be, yeah. Johnny Vegas, perfectionist. Who knew? Yeah, he, he is a perfectionist. You know, he can, well, do you know what? Anyone involved in comedy, you have to be a perfectionist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't win in comedy. No, no. You really can't. I've, um, I'm, am I talking to you much? Tell me if I'm talking to you much. No, no, go for it. It's a podcast. You're a talker. Talk all you want. <laughs> It'll give you time to get my name right. Um, <laughs> I, um, I, I've recently been, uh, this is, oh, this sounds mad, but I've been talking to uh, Ken Dodd's widow. I absolutely right. idolized Ken Dodd. And I think he was this phenomenal thing. He wrote reviews of his own act every night in a note. Really? Yeah saying this bit didn't work and that bit didn't work. And if, if he came up with something fresh during an act, he would look to the drummer in the backing band and go, and just give him a signal, which meant write that down. Yeah. And that would go in the notebook as well. It's like, it's, you know, it's, it's a precise thing, comedy, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. I try and I try and do that for the podcast that we do. Yeah. It, is, it, is, it is an I don't know about that laugh. <laughs> Like, do you really? Um, honestly, like something will happen, and I'll think, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna note that down in my, in my phone, uh, or, or I do have a, I do have a notepad as well. And uh, but the thing is, because I'm usually so rushed and stuff, I'll just write one or two words, then I'll come back to it a week later. I won't have a badges what it means. I'm just like bangers trees, just like, oh, yeah. God, what was that about? I'll be scratching my head for days. Well, do you want a funny story about that? I am. Um... I was given an honorary doctorate by Liverpool University, which is like, obviously that's a massive thing for me. Yeah, that's yeah. My own crowd, my mum and dad are in the audience. And I really worked on the speech thinking this will be my, um, you know, this will be my Ken Robinson moment. Yeah. Oh, right, this beautiful thing is going to go viral. And I went up onto the stage, someone ahead of me with a mace, you know, there's a trumpet, the whole thing, I look out over the sea of faces. And I look at this piece of paper in front of me and it says, Penne, Cherry tomatoes, garlic. <laughs> <laughs> I was just standing there thinking, is it a metaphor? <laughs> no, you've just seen a, a Joe Wicks video. 
<laughs> oh, brilliant. Uh, funnily enough, you mentioned Ken Dodd there. We've got a family connect. Well, sort of a loose family connection to Ken Dodd, Dodd because our granddad's brother was his producer on Ken Dodd yeah. and the Diddy Men. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he did quite a lot. He did quite a few like FA Cup finals and that sort of thing. But his big gig was doing the Ken Dodd and the Diddy Men. Yeah. Total Many respect. moons ago. Amazed that he ever got home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you started that by saying if you bought your sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you have got a new book out, um, yeah. I believe, May 13th. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. That's, it's, yes. May the 13th. Noah's Gold, it's called. Do you want to tell Noah's us a little Gold. bit about what we can expect? It's, um, it's an adventure story. It's set on an island, um, which goes back to that Instagram thing, actually. I was writing this book at the start of lockdown. And the, I mean, the core idea of it is that the internet goes off globally. Yeah. And we're back to a world with no internet. Um, and I was already writing it at the start of lockdown. And in one of those Instagram classes that I was talking about, the creative writing classes. Yeah. The idea of those classes was not to make them better writers, but to sort of help use creativity to make you happy, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I, I thought you were going to say then those sessions were to nick ideas from these young nick. children. Yes. <laughs> well, okay. So I said for one of those things, look, you should set a story somewhere where you want to be, you know, sit down and write about somewhere you'd like to be, build a happy place inside you. And one yeah. of the kids said, and are you doing that in your book? And I went, no, actually I'm not. Yeah. And, and so I did. And I changed it then and it just flew. So yeah. I'm really grateful to those kids. So it's set on an island and I got to the island by, it's the start of the story is there's the geography teacher who's taking right. the kids on a school trip to effectively the Amazon warehouse to show them the Amazon warehouse. Yeah. Well, he's programmed the GPS wrongly and it reads it as the Amazon. So yeah. they just keep going west and west and west and west and west <laughs> until they end up on Inish Boffin, which is as far as the, well, the minibus falls off a cliff and they're stranded then on this tiny island. Nice, nice. Um, and that was, and, a, that was a very muted reaction to that. I thought you were going to go, that is brilliant. <laughs> no, I liked it. I liked it. I, I'm not going to lie. I was thinking about uh, KFC because you were thinking, telling, telling me to create my happy place. <laughs> I just thought, happy place. And then my mind drifted off to chicken. But um, I, honestly, it sounds amazing. You can just imagine it. You can imagine it already. I'm visualizing it. It's, uh, I'm sure it's going to be an absolute classic. It is a classic. Yeah. Talking of uh, GPS. <laughs> talking of... Uh... Anyone would listen to this after the 13th. It is a timeless classic. Or it no, you remind me there of the GPS. I was at a school the other day doing an after-school training session. It was only in sort of like Warrington, so not too far away. And uh, put the postcode in. In my, So I've got my calendar going. You know, this is the school. This is the postcode. Put the postcode in. Get get to this postcode, not a school to be seen anywhere, right? So yeah. I'm just at this house in the middle of nowhere. So I'm like, oh. Now I thought my wife, because my wife does all all the sort of bookings, she just copied the postcode in wrong. So I sort of phoned her up. And I'm like, right, you've you, you've given me the wrong postcode. I need to know where the school is. Uh, so I Google it, find it, and off I go. Get to the school. Turns out the head teacher, when she booked the training, um, 
was late at night, put her own home postcode in. So I'd rocked up to the head teacher's house. Uh, wow. She's like, did you manage to put my bins out? I was like, no, I, no, I didn't. I was just trying to get <laughs> sounds, to the Sounds time. to me like she wanted some private ICT with Mr. P time, <laughs> if you get what I'm saying. <laughs> not at all, not at all. Um, so, I mean, you've been writing successful children's books for years. Um, I mean, where 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 does the journey start? Where does a sort of inspiration come from for for one of your books? Is it just? I mean, do you have? Is it just a case of like you've got a with like a publisher? Is it a case of you've got to get a book out, or does is it when you come up with an idea that you start the writing process? Or well, it takes you ages to write a book, so the next one is always kind of well, frankly, the next one's always looking over your shoulder, going, "This yeah. is more." <laughs> yeah. so you kind of you get an itch to start a different story. there's a point in which when you're writing a book it's so miserable in the middle yeah it's so miserable in those middle stages that you start planning trips the way you start planning holidays in the in the in the middle of winter don't you so that yeah you, your kind of idea for your next book is always there waiting for you yeah when you finish i think and are there any sort of like little pearls of wisdom because obviously most of our audience our teachers, school staff, parents, you know, when you were doing those um, Instagram writing sessions, what were your sort of top tips for kids who, you know, looking for ways to improve the writing? Yeah, I mean, I think about that a lot because I'm also one of the one of the judges on Chris Evans's 500 words. Or All right, yeah. So I see a lot of children's, I mean, I see a lot of children's creative writing. I, I mean, I always say the same thing. You should get them to read it out loud. You know, yeah. to hear your voice is such a great, and your voice as a teacher yeah, yeah. is such a powerful instrument. You know, you probably can still impersonate teachers that you had when you were little. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Get out! <laughs> yeah. Get out! But, and I can. And it's like, it's a really long time ago. And it, so, like, I mean, we don't really know completely how the human mind works, but it must, it's sticky, isn't it? It's a, when you think about it, it's mind boggling that you can recognize a voice. Yeah. And recognize voices of people you've never met, people who are not that important to you. You know, yeah. John Major or someone can come on the radio and you'll go, that's John Major. Yeah. He's not in the room. You can't see him. He's not your dad. And you can still, so your voice is. I really hope not. <laughs> Unless, you know, uh, sorry. But, um, <laughs> but your voice is a really powerful, powerful instrument. And I think we spent, I mean, this is such a funny thing for a writer to say. I think there's much, much, much too much writing done in schools. Right. Uh, you know, and I know that's why that's come about. It's because the writing is measurable and markable mm. and, and monitorable, if that's a word. But in the workplace and in the world and in anything creative, the, the skills that you really notice are listening, people who can listen and people yeah. who can talk without waffling, you know. So those skills, so for me, it's read it out loud. I mean, like, that's true in the movies, you know, the films that I make. The really crunch day in making a film is the day that you all get around the table and read the script out loud. And yeah. it's incredibly exciting and totally mortifying. And you never, ever, ever need to have a discussion afterwards because you know exactly when it dragged. You know, yeah. you know exactly when it was waffling and you know exactly when it was mushy and you know exactly when it worked, you know? So yeah. for me, I, I had this like epiphanic moment in year six when that teacher, Sister Paul, God bless her, got up and she read a piece of work by me and it was like, because oh. there was in year six, I wasn't good at anything. Yeah. And in year six, 
people are good at stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. the people who are good at footy are good at footy now, and the people who are good at music are good at music now, and the people who are good at, you know, being organised. Or there was a kid in my class who was absolutely world class bully, uh, just <laughs> terrifying individual. I still see him. He still scares the life out of me. Did he have a badge? He, well, he, made living, he made a living out of it, you know. <laughs> he made a very, very good living out of it. Um, <laughs> but so those skills were apparent, and, and I didn't have one, you know. And she read that out, and people laughed in the right places. And I was like, oh, yeah. words, words are something you can be good at. Yeah. I didn't know that till then, do you know what I mean? It's like, words are something you can be picked the right word. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. Or, or it's moving, or it's or it's sets the hairs on the back of your head, or, or whatever. Words are something you, and I started to notice words then. Yeah. No, it's interesting because I I talk a lot about this with with some of the training that I do. So you always get, you know, I've done a lot of work in schools where they tend to think technology is a tool that detracts children from reading, it detracts them from writing, and one of my focuses with the training is actually how you can utilize technology because because of all this content that children engage with outside of school whether it's films tv shows you know podcasts what songs it all starts with someone sitting down and writing a script and i think yeah. the mistake we make in schools is we ne- we hardly ever give children an opportunity to make the connection to sort of yeah. say well actually this writing doesn't just have to stay in an exercise book where a teacher marks it and then that's it. Yeah. With this technology now, we can have a go at making, turning it into a little video or a little film or an animation or whatever it might be. And when children yeah. see it, that's when the writing can really, you know, start to matter. And the first piece of that, the first and most amazing piece of technology that you've got is your voice. Oh, you absolutely. Know, you yeah. can't, no, definitely, definitely, definitely. So I, you know, I am, I, um, I was one of the creative team behind the uh, opening of the work the um, olympic opening ceremony in 2012 yeah. and my clearest memory well first of all one clear memory of that danny boyle absolutely was like ran that like protected us uncompromising amazing huge operation very rarely saw him with a pen in his hand really just an absolutely brilliant listener yeah yeah and, yeah. and um so there's that but also my most vivid memory of that is that one of the rehearsals, which were just so tense, you know, we had three, yeah. we only had three rehearsals, we only had three nights in the stage, two nights of rehearsal in the stadium before we had the gig, you know, so tense. And uh, I couldn't get tickets for all my family. We, we weren't allowed to get, you know, I've got seven kids, so we weren't ever going to get, we couldn't afford them anyway. <laughs> but we had, um, we, I got um, a couple of free tickets for the rehearsal and I was with my daughter, who would have been about 10, I think, at the time. Yeah. And at that point, I knew, you know, because I'd done the press packs, how many yards of LED, of wiring, how much LED, what tonnage of pyro, how many costumes, how many volunteers, everything about that ceremony and how, how much tech there was. Yeah. And then just after the beginning, Kenneth Branagh stands up and says, just says with his voice, Caliban's speech from the Tempest. And I looked at my little girl and she was in floods of tears. And I looked down the road and everyone was crying. I yeah. was like, wow, these are just words that yeah. someone wrote on a scrap, that they were disposable. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't yeah. even expecting anyone to print these words. These were words that someone put on a piece of paper 500 years ago and they they punched through pyro, tech, everything, if someone's saying them in the right voice. You know, so yeah. your voice, you know, your voice as teachers 
massive, massive Absolutely. piece of death. Yeah. And um, how did that come about, getting involved in the Olympic opening ceremony? Oh, I just bumped into Danny and Sarah when he went. Um, he said, do you, want, do you want a cup of tea? Which is like an unusually generous offer from Danny. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said, no, that's not fair, actually. But anyway, he went, do you want a cup of tea? And I went, yeah, yeah, come on. He went, I'm doing the Olympic opening. Do you want to do it? And I went, yeah, sure. And we had this conversation that went on for about 10 minutes before I realised he meant literally the Olympic. I thought he was talking about a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, went, I went, oh. And he went, yeah. Does that make a difference? And I went, nah. And he went, yeah. you haven't asked me anything. You haven't asked me if you're getting paid or when it is or what's involved or anything. Went, yeah, but. Once in a lifetime. How long, how long before 2012 did he ask you? Two years. We did two years. Two years, wow. wow. And I tell you, I mean, it I'm was. sure everyone who's listening to this, it's firmly in their minds. It was uh, it was one of the most epic things I think I've ever seen. So congratulations again. Well done, how many yeah. years? Got to come to the 10-year anniversary next year. I know. I know. So that's, I mean, another nice, the nice thing about being a children's writer is that your demographic doesn't remember it. You know, you've got to keep going because it means yeah. nothing to them. You know, yeah, yeah. they weren't yeah. born. I mean, was there anything, was there any, I mean, how did it work? Was there a group of you that just sort of sat around and you were sort of spitballing yeah. ideas or, I mean, was there anything that you came up with that you thought would have been amazing that didn't quite make it? Well, I never stopped going on about the fact that the clangers definitely should be in there. <laughs> 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 and it, I, never, I never got to that. I'm very proud of the fact that I got lots of children's support. I mean, the, the NHS section that everyone remembers. Yeah, yeah. Mary Poppins in it, Captain Hook, um, the child catcher. You know, it had a lot of children's fiction in it. I'm very proud yeah. of that. Yeah, there were, there were five, I think there were five of us. There was me, Mark, Rick, Danny, such right. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, five of us, yeah. I think. Designer, musician, Danny, writer. And for about a year, there were just... Do you know what? It was very primary school. It was like, it, it, we had, um, I mean, how do you start doing something like that? We, we, so we had a timeline is all we had of like the Monica arrives, the, the parade of athletes, you need yeah. to see the Olympic signet. So we put a washing line across this little room and we just put, we put the times on it and we started to put little ideas that we had on the washing line, which was very much what would have happened in year six. Yeah, yeah. And, and I used to do... Um, Danny was very, we were very security conscious. So there was a lot of physical writing down and cutting and gluing rather than anything too tacky. Yeah. So yeah. we had like a notice board and scrapbooks. When I was in year six, we used to do this thing called topics. Yeah, yeah. Which the system Paul would give us a book and say, just fill that with anything you want about a subject. So it could be heraldry or yeah. you know, the human eye or something like that. Yeah. And so I did a lot of those, you know, the industrial revolution, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I made these little topic books. And I still do that when I'm starting a book. I make a little, you know, I make a little scrapbook in a school notebook. Um, yeah. And I'll share that with Stephen Lenton, the illustrator, once, once we're going, you know. First of all, I'll share it with my editor so she knows that there's something good in there and she'll respond to <laughs> something. And then with the illustrator as a kind of mood board. But it's yeah. good because you can fill it up but without having to make any decisions about how things fit together, you know. Yeah. How amazing. <laughs> how amazing is that? I I would have never thought of like because I've got it in my head like a, a classroom and you're talking about the washing line and things like that. I was just thinking like surely there is what there is one of the group that kind of was maybe not pulling the weight. There's always one in a group, and then you're all getting the same amount of credit. 
but then you're a bit like, well, I did more than that person. <laughs> that's that's year six, isn't it? You you want the credit. <laughs> yeah. Well, after after a life in movies, you learn that credits mean nothing. <laughs> really. Um, I remember those topics when we were in school. We still they were still around when we were we were at primary. Our mum loved them more than we did. Like our mum loved the topic. So she'd choose the topic. She'd make sure as part of the topic, there'd be a trip that we went on. Not with wow. school or anything, just as a week. So um, I remember doing... Yeah, I remember doing one on emergency services. It was not, It was called 999. And there was like a chapter about the police. And we went to a, the Manchester Police Museum or something like that. Didn't you do a Titanic one and you went down to Southampton? Yeah, I did a Titanic one, went to Southampton. And to be fair, I mean, I, I, did, I at the time I was like year six, so like 10 years old. I couldn't believe how far Southampton was. <laughs> I was just like, oh my days, like this is crazy. But I remember, um, yeah, I went to the to like the museum that was there. And then I, I, I was, I, I took a picture with the, the, I think it was the captain's gravestone or something like that. It was all in this book. It's really stuck with Adam. <laughs> This is, this is no, but it was the be- it was the I think it was the best kind of. But then the funny thing is, and it's like this at primary schools, like even though I got an awful lot of like applause and oh look how great Adams is, Mum did most of it. Like Mum did uh-huh. most of it. I can't I can't say that. Like the writing was well neat, and the teacher was kind of looking at me like, oh well done. I was thinking she knows my mum's written that. <laughs> she knows. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds like next level topic books to me. That's like, yeah. Well, yeah, they were good. They were good. I, now that, I was that's... really happy in year six. Year six was, you know, and w- anything creative, I kind of think back to year six. Yeah. I like, I, like, I like the way before when you were saying about the, uh, the bully, um, and he was like, he made a living out of it. You actually said, you, went, you know, he was a top level bully. And, you know, they all had that skill set. <laughs> <laughs> the way he related <laughs> bullying to some sort of skill set, like a parent's <laughs> evening with that. You know, his English is not so good, but bullying, oh my word. Yeah, A-star. like, does it, I, wonder if, I wonder if he looks back in his school days like you do. I had a piece of writing <laughs> held out. I punched someone in assembly in front of everyone, <laughs> smashed it. <laughs> I got this wedgie round his head, and that was the day I realised. <laughs> He's terrifying. <laughs> Has he featured in any of your books? God, no, he'd come after me, I think. Would he? <laughs> no. <laughs> now, it wasn't the first time you worked with Danny Boyle. Um, it was the first time you worked on the film Millions. Yeah, that's the first time we worked together, yeah. Yeah. Um, and am I right in thinking the movie came out in 2004 yeah. and like the book was only released a couple of months earlier than that? Yeah, because I'd always been a screenwriter. Yeah. And, um, but this was just very providential. That that script was knocking around for about five or six years. And it was always like, everybody loved that script and no one wanted to make that movie. Really? Because, well, we don't make family movies in Britain. You know, if no. you make a thriller, you're up against the thriller. If you make a, you know, socio-realist film, you're up against a socio... If you make a family film, you're up against Pixar and nobody wants to be, you know. Um, <laughs> And, and in fact, it's a battle you're up, not going to win. No, you're not. And in fact, that film came out the same week as Star Wars, so it got steamrolled anyway. But um, so nobody, I think every director in London saw that, apart from Danny, because everyone just thought of Danny as 
heroin and zombies and stuff at the time. And there's a there's an edit studio, there's an edit suite called Delane Lee, which is like where all all the films that are being made in Britain, they all get edited in the same kind of labyrinth of little edit suites. And someone had left a copy by by the kettle at the end of the corridor. Yeah. And he started reading it and he rang me up and went, Who's doing this? I went, Nobody. He went, It's I've only read the first 30 pages, but it's brilliant. And I'd love to do it. And so we had a we had a meeting at the meeting, he said. It's only brilliant up to page 30. <laughs> <laughs> so we started again, but um, I can't remember. What oh, yes. Yeah. So when it got greenlit, which it got greenlit very quickly because Danny was really hot at the time. Well, he yeah. started to be. Um, uh, and we went out to dinner, and Danny is this absolutely voracious reader. I mean, he just reads everything yeah. really quickly. And he was talking about what he was reading, and it was all, you know, this amazing new. Kazakhstan novel about you know it's very postmodern blah 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 and I'd be sitting there going you know Millie Molly Mandy is really underestimated <laughs> and he just went you only talk about kids books why don't you write one and I went well I've never had an idea for one and he went um two little boys find a bag of money and I, went, I couldn't believe I hadn't thought of doing it as a book really so we started that night and I, I was writing it into prep you know, I was writing it while we were auditioning and I was writing it while Mark was building stuff. Um, so it was just, that's the luckiest any writer's ever been, I think, you know. Because yeah, yeah. it didn't happen to Tolkien. Tolkien couldn't go, do you know what this feels like from an author point of view? I'll go and add some more. <laughs> <laughs> I could do that, you know. Yeah, amazing. And I mean, so that, that how does it work then as a screenwriter? So how involved are you in the in the whole process? So take like millions how... It depends on your relationship with the. I mean, we were very close, Danny and I, so I, I was there all the time for that. And he's great company and he's nice to be around, very welcoming set. So you get involved, like with the, we were saying before, credits don't mean anything. On some films, I've done a lot more than right. And yeah. on other films, um, you've just handed in a script and got a film back, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it just, you know, and geography makes a difference. You know, if you've been shooting something up the Rocky Mountains, you don't want to be there, but if you're shooting something in Manchester, 24 hour party people or something. Yeah. You know, that's that really. Yeah. And you were a bit involved in that as well. Were you, did you go to the Hacienda back in the day? Was that? Oh, but what, back in the day? Yeah. Um, yeah, but it wasn't that exciting then. It was a venue, it was a music venue. That wasn't, yeah. it wasn't in its heyday when it was a club, you know? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I love it. And and what is there any? Would you say Millions is has that special place in your heart as being the first children's book that you've written, or is there another one that? No, I mean, basically, me, what's been the favorite? What's been your favorite well, either book I mean, or I, film? Listen, you know, I, I every time I get an idea for a children's book, I feel like I've won the lottery. You know, it's just it's it's like being forgiven. It's just an amazing feeling getting yeah. a good idea for a book. But yeah, Millions will always be special, not least because because of course, because I've worked on that script for years. I yeah. wrote it really quickly. <laughs> so I didn't have any of that kind of miserable, you know, middle-age, does it work type thing. Yeah. It, it was purely the... Writing Millions was like the day you learn to ride a bike. It's like, oh, I'm doing this. <laughs> and I, I could probably do it forever. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, and you just think anything's possible. So it was it was an amazing, amazing experience. But actually writing Noah's Gold was similar because I'd had this kind of moment when a kid had said to me, you, you know, a kid just cast this magic spell on me and went, 
go. <laughs> you yeah, know, to, yeah. To have a wonderful time, and I, and I really, really did. Um, I, again, back to year six, I, I didn't, you know, normally work on a laptop because you know you're going to do loads of rewriting and blah blah blah. And I didn't. I just got a, I got a notebook and a pen and went and sat somewhere nice and wrote it really quickly. Yeah. Thought, I've got to make this not like work because everything else is work. You know, yeah, just yeah. sitting in front of, like loads of people, my kids as well, sitting in front of a screen all day. You know, I've got to make this fun. So I didn't even type it when I'd written it. I I, I used dictate and read it into my phone and turned yeah. it into a document, which was obviously full of ridiculous mistakes because dictate isn't that good. You know, it's only no. 15 how, do you, how good do you think it's going to be? Yeah. Um, so even just like, by the time I was, I'd finished just making obvious corrections, I'd effectively done three drafts. Yeah. But without ever, ever it feeling like work, which was just amazing. So, um, and I hope that shines through, you know, it, was, it, just, it did, it was so pleasurable to write and I really hope the, the book feels like that, you know. I'm sure it will be, I'm sure it will. Is, uh, was no other name of the boy who um, asked that question or? No, he wasn't. No? I, I, they put, loads of them didn't have their real names up. And I, didn't, yeah. I feel very hesitant about putting real people in. You know, I thanked them in the back of the book and just said, you know who you are. Yeah, yeah. The credit, the well-earned credit there. I like it. <laughs> yeah, and if you want a bigger credit, get your people to talk to my people. <laughs> <laughs> Has there been any of your other books that you you've, you felt would have been, would have made an amazing film? Well, I'm working on, I'm, this is, <clears throat> I'm um, Sputnik's Guide to Life. I'm working uh, with DreamWorks on that at the moment. And that, oh, wow. that's an amazing team. I'm working, my my official mentor on that is Terry Rossio, who wrote Shrek and Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, nice. So, you know, knows a thing or two. I wrote yeah, Aladdin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so he knows a thing or two. Um, and Zorro he wrote. Right, so you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's an absolute list. That, my word, I know that is a list, isn't it? And he's so nice. So, uh, Sputnik's Guide to Life, which is about um, an, an alien dog, that, it's about an alien who comes to uh, disguise as a dog because he thinks he assumes dogs are the dominant species on earth, right? Because these humans clearing up their poo after them, so he thinks <laughs> like a slave species. If I'm going to find the leader, of, uh, he's probably going to be a dog, um, yeah. So that's, I'm working on that with DreamWorks at the moment. Oh, DreamWorks is Spielberg's company, isn't it? Is that right? It's bit... Belongs to, it's always changing hands. It belongs to Universal. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. that's amazing. So yeah. lots of busy work in the pipeline then, lots of things to look forward to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't, don't forget the two Mr. P's when it's premiere time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you back on. <laughs> Oh, hello you. My name's Tom Price. Hello, I'm Dave Cribb. You should come and join us every day. We do a podcast called Cabin Fever, where we talk to loads of comedians who've had to cancel everything else in their lives. So they come on our podcast instead, don't they, Dave? Yeah, it's an isolation podcast. Uh, Dave, were you yawning at the start of that sentence then? Was it just a little yawn? Yeah, it's basically the Great Big Owl isolation podcast. We'll have people on from all our podcasts, from your Rule of Threes, your Brian Rogers, your musicals, your bitchins. If you like any of our podcasts, if you like any of those people, chances are they'll be logging onto the Zoom call and just chatting because, let's face it, they got nothing else to do. Also, there'll be a quiz on the bill. All right, see you soon. Lots of love. Cabin that's our Twitter Hey, listener. Do you have a story to tell? Just like the podcast you're listening to now? 
With Acast, it couldn't be easier to start a podcast. We have all the essential tools you need. From recording and editing audio to sharing and promoting your show, you can even make money from your podcast all in one place. Basically, we handle all the boring stuff, so you can focus on having fun and creating exactly what you want to share with the world. Get started with a three-month trial of our paid plan using the promo START. Just visit go.acast.com slash start. So um, a friend of ours took his class to see you at the Cheltenham Literature Festival and said you had a funny story about your first day at school. Is that right? Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. On my first day at school, well, a couple of things happened on my first day at school. I went to school, um, I'm from the middle of Liverpool in Kirkdale. Yeah. And I went to school. My mum had persuaded me that it would go down well if I wore a red bow tie to school. <laughs> and the minute I walked onto the playground, I could see that, you know, she was wrong. <laughs> and that, she made a bad choice. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so, you know, in that moment, I lost faith in my mother, which is quite, that's traumatic in itself. And First I was very school worried. as well. That's a young age. That's a young age, isn't it? I walked <laughs> through those gates and thought, right, you, you're on your own. Yeah. You know? And therefore, one of the things that she had reassured me about was that Daleks aren't real. <laughs> and I was convinced that Daleks were a major hazard. We lived in a block of flats. So it's like, why are we on, <laughs> why are we coming to the ground floor? Don't you know? <laughs> Daleks. <laughs> we were safe when we were on the third floor. Um, yeah. I, was, I was very worried about Daleks and uh, I wouldn't go into class and my mum was shoving me and I was crying. I was like shouting for my brother to come and get me. Um, and then the classroom door opened and my teacher came out and my teacher was a nun and she had this wimple that came over her head and a skirt that went to her feet so you couldn't see her feet move and she had her arms out towards me <laughs> you can visualize what this was but i was like there is no way i'm going in there that is not a teacher that is a little blue irish dalek <laughs> and so i i as i thought heroically on my first day at school yeah i kicked a nun <laughs> really hard and very repeatedly shouting you don't know what's inside it you don't know what's inside it and I have to be dragged off. And I'm still like, that's who I am in the <laughs> Dale area. It won't matter if I win a Nobel Prize or become Prime Minister. It'll be like, you're that wee lad who kicked the nun. Kicked Margaret. With a red bow tie on. I know. <laughs> yeah, it looks so disarming. I know. Look like a gift. <laughs> <laughs> the gift of pain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how was uh how was the relationship with the nun afterwards do you know what she was absolutely amazing was she absolutely amazing yeah i have very good experiences of nuns yeah <laughs> not the not the first time and it was a nun who was in year six as well who read my work out i did two years in year six which was the making of me yeah, I was yeah, back a year. This is the thing that I feel strongly about about you know making kids keep pace with each other. Yeah, so yeah. I was kept down a year. I kept back a year. I think I was just probably young in the class or something, but right. I didn't notice. Yeah, I didn't notice that all my friends had gone. I was just like, oh, we're back in Sister Boss class. That's nice. Too busy and, kicking nuns. <laughs> yeah, and, and I just thought. So the second year in year six, I was like, this is the doddle. I can't yeah. understand why these other kids can't do long division. 
because I can. And, <laughs> and I don't know why they're doing these topics, which I've already done, you know, and yeah. I knew where everything was. And I felt like a consigliere. And, um, and it just made me super confident, like yeah. ridiculously confident. And I think it was about 20 before someone said to me, but you know, you did year six twice. I was like, oh my God, I'm not clever. <laughs> I just did it twice. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think I've been like a very school-shaped child till then. And then yeah. I left year six feeling like I was probably really a member of staff in short trousers. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> slotted back in into a big school. I was like, yeah, it's fine. These yeah. kids, we're off it. I'm so clever. And I felt really clever when I was 11. And yeah. It was only because I'd done it twice. <laughs> I was going to say, when you when you like... Yeah, I mean, uh, you're not realising you've done it twice as well. You know, how stupid is that? But I, I literally did not notice that all my mates had gone. It was like, yeah. <laughs> it was, I was saying, sure, this is cosy. <laughs> I was thinking like uh, when you when you got to a point of work that you were, you know that you smashed in your previous year, you should have just put your bow tie back and I'm gonna play to yeah. snooker. <laughs> I'll be snookering you tonight. Probably <laughs> <laughs> <I> did that. <laughs> but the nun didn't want a cue in your hand though. <laughs> Exterminate. <laughs> Uh, uh, the next question I was going to ask is what were you like in your school days but I think you've answered that one yeah violent <laughs> the <laughs> oldest kid in school <laughs> yeah really old yes. was, was anyone else kept behind with you or was it just yeah Julie Johnson who is now a librarian in Tameside somewhere and she's brilliant right. yeah. yeah I was going to say yeah. it wasn't just you and the bully no it was me and Julie Johnson yeah <laughs> Imagine coming back for the for the repeated year and the bullies just looking at you across the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> back yeah, yeah. again, back again. <laughs> so I'm going to take a stab and say English was your favourite subject at school. Um, a big school. Well, yeah. Well, it was all very, the very sciencey. Right. Okay. Sciences. I was very big on biology. Loved my biology. Loved biology. And I ended up doing English because I did find it very easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I genuinely liked reading, you know, and it stuck and I could hear voices and stuff like that. So, you know, it just was easy and I ended up doing it. I, I kind of sort of slightly still regret not doing scientists, to be honest with you. Really? Mm. Which was your favourite? Which was your least favourite of the three? Like in of preference? The- Biology top. Oh, I loved biology. I mean, I still yeah. love biology. I think it's sort of magic. It's like yeah. a trip. You know? um, I didn't really, I wasn't really big on chemistry and physics, but I really loved biology. Yeah. I, I, I preferred biology, I think. Uh, I, I was all right with chemistry until they brought in all the equations. Then I was just, ah. Oh, yeah, much. I was all right with chemistry as long as it was alchemy. Yeah, yeah. Know? As long as it was like, Here's the Philosopher's Stone, and it will send things into gold. That was good chemistry. When it <laughs> yeah. got to kind of, you know, H2SO4, I was like, all right, okay. No, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. What was your favourite, Adam? Oh, do you know what? It's 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 like having three bullies and picking your favourite bully. I, <laughs> I, 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 I was so poor at science. I have to just openly admit that. I, there wasn't one that I could pluck out. Which one did you use the Bunsen burner most? Was that chemistry? 
Yeah, chemistry. Yeah. We should. Yeah, but I'd probably say that one for that reason only. <laughs> That's how. talking about. He was obviously he was a year ahead of me at big school, but he was very good at weaponizing the use of the Bunsen burner. That was his thing. <laughs> that was his skill set. <laughs> yeah, that was part of his skill set. And I tell you what, there wouldn't have been three bullies. Like the the essence of bully is getting yourself into a monopolistic position. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> top dog. Be top I dog. can imagine with the, with the bully used to run his fingers through the pumps and burn a flame. <laughs> just proper intimidating, just like, oh my God, take me back to biology, please. <laughs> I don't know why we're talking about him so much. He's making it. <laughs> <laughs> what, was there any, when, any particular subjects you hated, you just couldn't? Do you know what? I was rubbish at languages and it was not the teacher's fault. I had a terrific teacher, Mr. Rogers, all the way through big school. And I just couldn't get my head around languages. And it just goes to show, because I'm actually quite good at languages. We've lived abroad a few times and um, I, I enjoy learning languages. But it's like your motivation's got to be there, hasn't it? Yeah, I was terrible. I mean, I scraped French. Just, I think I scraped it based purely on the oral, as in yeah. being able to, <laughs> I think it's because the, <laughs> the teacher was pointing to what I needed to say with the recorder. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I was I was awful. At, you could take it as an option, could take French or German. I went French and, yeah, not for me. Yeah. Barely speak yeah. English most of the time. Yeah, like languages were, I always remember, obviously, I've, I've spoke about this on the podcast before. I remember, like, one of the really important French lessons in year seven in the, my teacher, Mr. Moncarius, who we used to nickname Mr. Monk Hairy Ass. Um, <laughs> I know that's Word, good. Came with words, wordplay. It's wonderful. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, and uh, it didn't get me many marks in French. Never. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he said we're gonna, you know, we're gonna learn something really important, and it's kind of like uh, nouns and verbs in French. And then I, I was obviously messing around, and then he just lost it with me. And it's a classic line that I've used in the podcast. He literally went, Parkinson, get out, you monkey clown. And like, <laughs> I felt like he was getting like mixing up. Like, I don't know if he wanted to speak French or, but words were coming into his mind. He was that angry. He yeah. plucked two out of his bank and it was monkey clown. And um, I mean, no one ever forgot it. You know, I've still been called a monkey clown <laughs> to this day. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Je m'appelle Monkey Clown. Sounds <laughs> clean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so UK schools, I mean, they're a completely different breed, aren't they, to others around the world. Was there anything from your school days that you've never seen anywhere else? It was like quite prominent. We've talked about things like, you know, like Bunsen burners would be a good example of just the random things you find in school that you don't find anywhere else as an adult, or it could be sort of a particular topic or something you learn or do at school that, yeah, just doesn't, you've well, never you, seen it anywhere else. You can't say Daleks because I think it was a nun in the end. We've lived abroad twice. You know, we, we lived in France for a while. We lived in Spain for a while. And, I think in both cases, what's impressive about British schools and what our kids notice is that when you come back to British schools, the teachers do so much more. Yeah. You know, that you do sports and you do drama and all these things that are extracurricular. And that, in a good sense, the British school can genuinely feel like a community. 
Yeah, yeah. In the sense that, like, a French school definitely, definitely does not. <laughs> you really? Like, oh, my God, yes. You know, in what, just, in what way? Well, teachers don't do anything apart from teach. Right. Not anything. I mean, nothing. And, and like, on a school trip, the teachers would be, like, completely disengaged. It's just like, we taught you. You know, have you got a light? It's basically the only interaction because they just smoke all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's how our kids saw it. They came back feeling that British schools felt much more coherent, much more of a community, and that you had a much stronger relationship with your teachers and much more, um, well, that teachers were more generous in British schools. I mean, that's not to slag anybody off, but they, it felt much more conformist, a French school. Yeah. And much more regulated and the teacher was a more remote figure right you know, was it the same in was it the same in spain or was that different again Spain was weird because for some reason we lived in the basque country and right. the schools were very much about basque culture and not spanish culture so the schools were on a mission that i now realized was like basically paramilitary <laughs> 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 we just thought they were being friendly yeah, and what 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 was it that made you live live out there? Was that to do with your writing and your, your the you film? Can. No, because you can. You know, yeah, so just... we. I mean, our younger kids we home educated. Right. The older ones went to school. The younger ones were home educated, and we just thought, well, we can do this, so we should. Yeah. So we just went, um, and it was really good. And it was really. I mean, from a learning languages point of view, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it, you know, it was great for me to be away for a while. Because yeah. you know, I live in my hometown, so it's kind of good to have had those experiences. Yeah. It's really interesting watching them learn languages. Like my youngest daughter was young; she was like six when we lived in France, and the others like tried to get there because we we made them go to a French school. There was no none of that international school nonsense. It was like, yeah. no, if you want to, if you're going to eat, you've got to learn to speak. That's it. Yeah. You know, we're really miserable to about Christmas. <laughs> and they, they worked really hard at it but the youngest one would come home and she'd say a couple of words in French and then like babble in a kind of French way yeah. so she'd go you know oh maman bon après-midi type of thing and we're like oh my god we get so beaten up and in fact she learned the quickest and she, uh, her accent was perfect it wasn't you know it wasn't an accent you'd want we lived in Lille yeah, which yeah. is equivalent of, well, it's just a big, rainy, northern industrial town, and it's got a really strong accent called Shti, um, which is described by the, a popular T-shirt. was a picture that, a T-shirt that said, may we, may come, and then a picture of David Bowie underneath. And he said, what is that T-shirt about? And then after a few weeks, it was like, oh, yeah, it says, you know, may we, may come, Bowie. <laughs> and so she was like that and it was really interesting because she's this lovely she's absolutely this, she's just a delightful child she's like yeah. she stepped out of a classic children's novel she's this fey quicksilver gracious lovely lovely kid except when she was speaking French when she was this state so she'd go oh yes mommy I've had a lovely day and here's my friend uh, Belline and uh, to follow quoi <laughs> 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 Brilliant! <laughs> she just became this shty girl, you know. And yeah. so it's not interesting that you kind of like goes back to what I was saying about voice. It's not just about grammar, is it? It's about no. body language and tone and 
and all that I, stuff. And I think, you know, the voice, the voice, the voice. I keep talking about the voice, you know. Yeah, I um, I was on a course once where someone was talking about this, and they were saying, I'm sure the research, I might, I, I might get this wrong by a bit, but if a child learns a new language, I think under the age of ten, they will retain the accent. And yeah. sound like they're from that 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 country. Yeah. Whereas if you master a language after ten, even though you could be that fluent in the language, you will always sound foreign. If if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I think that's true. And she's kept it actually. So she did French and she did it oral. I think she said, "How did your oral go?" She got very surprised. I was like, "You played, but i tell you what i bet that you know and what does she do now how old is she now does she 21 she's at manchester she's doing theology at manchester university oh lovely amazing um so were there any particular teachers, uh, I'm guessing the, the year six um, sister? No, she's amazing. Yeah, any particular and, teachers that had a huge impact on you? Yeah, I had a fantastic English teacher in my big school called Mr. Biggs. And I guess, you know, he's why I did English really, you know, yeah. um, because he was just amazing. And goes to the heart of what I was saying about English schools or British schools is that you get so much more from your teacher as a proper relationship with him, you know, and he was, he really wanted the most for us. And doing A-level with him was just, I'm always saying that reading for pleasure is so important and you can't, and I'm always saying you can't teach pleasure, you can only share it. And he yeah. really did a great job of sharing his pleasure, not just in the books that we were reading, but in life. You know, yeah, he loved yeah. to read things. And he would show us what he'd made. He made a, he made a set of Punch and Judy puppets and a booth. And I ended up being a Punch and Judy man for, year, really? for a couple of years. Yeah. Wow. Um, he, just, he was just an amazing, amazing teacher, Mr. Biggs. He was very big, being a rugby player. And he was just fantastic. Uh, yeah, amazing. I love that he's. I love that he was actually big because if he was dead small yeah. and his name is Mister Biggs, it'd have yeah. been like that classic like villain in a movie. Like, oh, yeah. you don't want to see Mister Biggs. Yeah, he's yeah. this tiny little guy. So I'm. I'm glad he backed the name up. Yeah, but he would just like share. So we did uh, like we did A levels with him, but he would like bring stuff in that he just likes. Yeah. So one of those was like he bought Tristan Shandy in, which is like way beyond anything for A level, but you read his bits from it. That really stayed with me, and I made a film of it in later life. I made um, Cock and Bull Story, which sort of oh, yeah. take the trip. So there's that whole thing about. I always think you know teachers are very hemmed down with like, what are your outcomes? It's like, well, really, you don't know what the outcome of what you're doing is for years. You know, the outcome of what Sister Paul did in Year Six was, among other things, the 2012 Olympic opening ceremony. Yeah. The outcome of what Mr. Biggs did back in the early, you know, 1979 or whatever it was, is the trip. But it's also like you gave me this book, which is the great book about being a dad. And it completely opened my mind about the pleasure of fatherhood, that book, you know. Yeah. And it should never have been on our agenda. He just bought it. He read his bits of it because he thought it was funny. Yeah. He was always doing that. So I do remember coming out of our mocks and a kid in my class going, how come, well, what happened to the, um, the big sleep question? Question about the big sleep. We're not doing the big sleep. We're doing it. We're doing Hamlet. It's like I've worked out how we've done it and everything. It's like 
No, we just liked the big sleep. That was a treat. <laughs> we just read it to you because you liked because he liked it. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, no. <laughs> There's always that one friend that in an, I remember that in an exam where you'd come out like, what do you get for number five? Oh, I put London. Yeah, I put London. And then someone comes out, I put 25. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, good. No, I, I mean, you're right there. I think, you know, every everything with, with teaching at the minute seems to be so... Like, obviously, we're recording this in the week that should have been SATs uh, mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in England. And, um, you know, we do get so wrapped up in... Sorry, that's my dog. I'll let her out. Hang on a second. There you go. She's such a diva. We get so wrapped up in the the short-term sort of results now. And I always think now, because I've been teaching long enough, so my first ever class will be, or turning like 22, 23 now. And I'd love to be able to see what they're all doing now. You know, I think that's where you'll be able to measure the real impact you've had. Yeah, absolutely. No, 100%. I'm like, I still, you know, I said to you, I still make a topic book for my, to write a novel with. Yeah. Just to put that, that was year six. That's a long time ago. That was in black and white, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, so I think you should take heart from that. I mean, and it's also quite, it's fearful as well, isn't it? Because you, you can do damage that lasts for a lifetime as well. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Works, so, both, works both ways. It works both ways, but I really, really kind of, you know, I was talking, whenever I'm talking to teachers, I say that, you know, your outcomes, you don't know what they'll be. You, 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 you could be, you know, my, my dad ended up as a teacher. My dad went into education quite late himself and ended up as a teacher. And yeah. now my dad's got dementia. And he taught in a secondary modern school in Witness. Yeah. And some of the kids that he taught ended up as teachers. She's like, they were not supposed to be. Yeah. You know, they went to secondary mod. They were supposed to go and work at ICI or whatever. Yeah. And some of them, so he must have been a great teacher. And they come and see him now, and they're kind of retirement age. And I think, wow. well, he did, he must have done something yeah. right way, way back there that has continued to do right for ki- for more kids yeah. to a point where, you know, kids who have been taught by those kids now, you know, will be, you know, in, you know they'll be alive in 2050 or whatever. So whatever yeah. my dad did in 1973, will be resonating like 80, 90 years. Yeah. You know, you've got to remember that when you're a teacher, I think, that the good that you do really, really, really yeah. continues to resonate, you know, because the, because you, you're setting people on a course where they'll do good too, yeah. you know? I think it's such a, you know, for all school staff, teachers, TAs, uh, anyone else who works in school, such an important lesson to take. Uh, and, and I don't think it's... Um, appreciated enough obviously yourself just said it there and and with lee saying how kind of you might be working so hard and a kid might not be able to learn the times tables but like you said you could read a piece of their workout you could take them to a sporting activity or anything like that and then in 10 15 years time they may become a a, a talented writer a, a sports coach whatever it may be or happy, which is more important than anything. Exactly, any yeah. You know, but the big thing that I took from, I, I, I got a certain swagger from having read bits of Tristan Shandy when I was, you know, 16, which is like the most difficult book in the English language, da, 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 da. And it went over my head and I read it because Mr. Biggs wanted me to. Yeah. Um, and what it really paid off was being a dad. You know, it made me a happier, more relaxed dad. So it wasn't yeah. so much that it got me into 
you know, top university or gave me kudos. It's that it made me resilient and cheerful and happy. And that's a huge, huge, huge thing that teachers do, I think. Yeah. Especially yeah. Like, there are lots of kids for whom school and the school community is the safe place. Oh, know? absolutely. Yeah, we and talk about like, that all the time. People, yeah. Especially like creative people like me are often dismissive about school, but actually a, a nice, predictable, controlled environment is really something really important. And if you haven't got it at home, it's going to be school. And you're doing that, you know, yeah. a good teacher really, really does that. And it's, yeah. the, you know, and, like, and, and it's, you know, you were saying it's, it's the treats. It's, it's not, it's often not the core curriculum. It's not the times tables. Like the big gift I got was someone reading to me on a Friday afternoon saying, you've all been good, get on the mat, I'm going to read you a story. And my key reading experiences are not me quietly reading a book on my own in the corner of the library. They are sitting in a group of people listening to yeah. The Secret Garden or The Railway Children or whatever. We, and we, and we, how it was told by the teacher, like you say, the voice. In the her voice. voice. You know, I can still hear her voice. Yeah. It's remarkable. You know, she's been dead a long time. Yeah. And uh, is there any other funny stories from your school days? Because that's what we like to do on the podcast is share sort of funny stories from our, our time in school. So we always ask the guests if there are any other funny tales from when you were when you were at oh, school. God. Now you've asked me that. I've gone completely blank. Like, <laughs> I was like the most. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I think... Not noticing that you were in that everyone else in your class <laughs> left was pretty funny to be honest. I've gone, I've gone blank on that one. No worries, no worries. But yeah, I think, it, I think the fact, I think the fact that you didn't realise you repeated a year until you were twenty. That that's definitely <laughs> in that section. So don't worry. Honestly, I can remember the day when it hit me. It's like, <laughs> but by then, you know. I was a star. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was brilliant. Just yeah. having a mustache in year six, just like. Well, you see, it did. That was the that was thing. I did shave really early. Uh, like, it never, that never struck me. Like, I just thought that was another it's, of my talent. It, it's what the irony of, of how you were saying you felt really clever. That's what I felt, you know. Yeah. You sort of in that second year, like. I'm so clever. How am I this clever not clocking on the fact you've been kept? Yeah. Why did I not get this? <laughs> so good. So if the if you if you could change anything about our education system, well, what would it be? I, if I could change anything, it would be less um, well obviously get rid of it. <laughs> Get rid of as much measurement as you possibly can. Yeah. As you can. Uh, less writing. I know it's a funny thing for a writer to say, but more listening, more talking. I think that's the huge thing. And also, like, if you could get rid of that thing of like everyone's got to be moving at the same pace. Yeah, yeah. Which I yeah. think is a leftover from training people up for work in an industrial economy. Mm. It's like people do move at a different pace, and that doesn't necessarily mean that's a medical problem or something like yeah, that. Yeah. A lot of yeah. the things that we now consider like some kind of mental disturbance are they're just young for their age. And if yeah. you give them time and space, they'll catch yeah. up. And why should they catch up? You know, what is what is so great about getting everything done by the time you're 18? Well, yeah. It's and interesting. I'm, I'm noticing that with my own children at the minute because I've got um, triplets 
So I've got 10-year-old triplets. That's the yeah. longest you've gone without saying that. Uh, isn't it? Isn't it? I can't believe it. You do listen to the podcast, Frank. Yes. <laughs> That's proof. Look, I live on a road of great big houses. Yeah. The three families with triplets on that road. Really? Yeah, because it's a triplet magnet. Is it? Yeah. Something in the water. <laughs> no, they move here because they've got triplets. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but just saying, like, we're, we're noticing that. So we had a meeting with, with the teacher today. Obviously, they're all in the same class. But they couldn't be more different and at different stages of their development. And yes. it just, I think that's really made me realise, uh, you know, being a teacher, that, like, one of my sons, especially in the past I'd say in the past couple of months seems to have just made this real summit summit switched on summit's happened where he's just grasping because my two boys are both dyslexic. So they sort of struggle with a lot of the reading and writing side of things. But one of them more recently has just, it's like, it's just all clicked into place with him and the progress he's made. Whereas the other one can talk you to sleep about anything. Like it's just been telling me before about how kangaroos reproduce, and I was right. like, okay, I'm gonna have to order one of those books about where the babies come from because he's asking me questions, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how to quite approach this one. But he's, you know, he won't be able to put it down on a piece of paper, but he could t- talk you through everything that he's learned today about how kangaroos reproduce. But exactly. it's, it's it's crazy. Just, I mean, they're identical boys as well, so you know, everyone gets them mixed up all the time. But, I don't like talking about, we, 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 as I said, we home-educated some of ours, but I don't like to talk about, because obviously we were home-educating from a position of an enormous privilege. There were two of us at home. Yeah, yeah. And we were both unbelievably self-confident. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unjustifiably so, because of doing two years since the boss class, but anyway, whatever. <laughs> and, um, and one of them, one of the home-educated kids didn't show any ability to kind of, recognize what written words were yeah at all till she was about maybe seven just couldn't engage with it and then got it like almost overnight just got it yeah um read away read like a set of Enid Blyton books I think they were the Shelley school and then started another uh, Enid Blyton franchise and went this is exactly the same but with the names changed yeah and went straight from Enid Blyton to Jane Austen boom, boom like that and she, was, she would be really young to be reading Jane Austen. But for the years before, if she'd been under that pressure at school, she'd have had years of people telling her she was rubbish at reading. Yeah. You know, yeah. Kindly, I'm sure. But she would have had that experience of failing at reading. And because yeah. she was just left alone to, you know, to find her own pace, it just, it was like, bang. Yeah. And yeah. she's incredibly, incredibly well-read. But going back to what you said, I mean, this is probably, I don't know, yeah, if you put a text in front of her and say, read it out loud. Yeah. If you give her an hour, she will give you a Judy Dench performance of unbelievable understanding. But if you say read it out loud now, she'll struggle. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we, we all have different skills. And yeah, different ways of going about things. And the way, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It is, um, you're right in what you say. I think the taking the measuring side out of education probably will then help with that it's i think that that sort of accountability in education at the minute is what is yeah. you know f- making us not appreciate the the different levels or the different ta- you know 
how long some children might take for it to, to fall into place. But I think majority well, of them get that there. While they're doing that, their minds might be doing something else brilliant. You know, we don't know what skills. We have no idea what skills we're going to need in 10 years' time. You no. know, because we, right. we don't know what a job will be in 10 years' time. AI is everywhere, all, the, all over the place. Robots <laughs> are taking over jobs that we don't even notice. You know, who the hell, what market is there for a translator now that translating software is so amazing? Alex um, might actually be teachers um, in a few years. You don't actually know. Absolutely. <laughs> so we don't know. You know, we don't know. Yeah. I went to school where, you know, it was ridiculous to want to be a writer because everyone, you know, should want to go and work in a bank or down the pit or in a glass factory or whatever. It's like all those things are closed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah <it's true. laughs> First, we chose the really precarious profession is still in work, you know? Yeah. And have you come across like, obviously, with your screenwriting side of things, you know, you're saying there about your daughter, how she, you know, might take, it would take a little bit longer to process a script and then she'd perform it. Have you come across any sort of uh, actors or actresses who were like that, who worked in a slightly different way? Yeah. I, I, and especially like you don't forget, you know, a, a movie set is, is like a little town, you know, there's lots, there's electricians and caterers and uh, designers and, people and you know, seamstresses and all kinds yeah. of things on a set and i really notice it with like you know you'll often come across people in design in particular who started off as joiners right but, but like being on a film set and have ended up being global figures you know yeah um, and mark who designed the, the sets for um and who came up with the idea of the queen jumping out of the helicopter who designed the sets for the I wanted to ask that earlier on. I was like, who came up with the Queen's idea? Because walked in with it one day and we all went, nah, that's been done. The only person who got paid for those years was a guy, was Mark's son, actually. We paid him, I think, 50 quid and said, go through YouTube and make sure he hasn't dreamed that or copied it from a movie. Yeah. Um, so he came in with that one day. Now, Mark is someone who, like, who, who thinks with his hands. You know, if you, if you give him an idea, he'll build you a model of it. Yeah, yeah. And he's absolutely a genius. Um, I made a film last, a couple of years ago called The Two Popes. He built a replica of the Sistine Chapel like that. You know, he's was wow. incredible, revered figure, but not very verbal. No. And I don't think we've ever had an email from him. It's always, <laughs> no, never. I'll send him emails and he'll ring me back. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, yeah. So not, not something like, I'm, I'm not, prejudging him for, I, he, he might end up writing his memoirs but he's not someone who works in that way yeah he yeah. works with his fingers and he works with his pen and he you know he shows you drawings and he makes you models and he thinks in a very spatial way so yeah. i don't know what he did at school but like he's a like everybody in the world if you if you've got in the film world if you say and mark tells you doing the sets they'll go oh yeah you sorted that you know yeah and, amazing yeah. Love it. Right, last question before we uh, before we finish. We always ask our guests this one. If you had a time machine and you could travel back to meet your 10-year-old self, what advice would you give them? I'd say um, 25th of May 2005, do not go out at half time to buy a takeaway to cheer everybody up. Because <laughs> you will miss <laughs> all those goals. <laughs> Is that what happened? Yeah. Oh, no. um, actually, yeah so that's for, for those who are not quick with figures that's the istanbul final yeah what was the takeaway though 
I just went to an Indian takeaway and I went on South Road and you could hear silence coming out of the pub next door. Because yeah. everyone said, and by the time I got home, all three goals had been scored. And I want to tell you this, one of the most beautiful things that have, has ever happened to me, my son, who would have been um, about nine at the time, had drawn pictures of each of the goals. Wow. As he felt so sad for me. And they're still on my office wall now. They're my... Then my idea of what art is for. Like, yeah, you yeah. missed something, this is what you missed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I personally thought you were going to give you 10-year-old advice uh, to get rid of the red bow tie, but I uh, understand <laughs> the... Too late. Too late. He, he... <laughs> Listen, my 10-year-old, was lit, my 10-year-old self was sitting there. Yeah, I would not go back to my 10-year-old self and say, you're repeating this year, you idiot. <laughs> You're being held back. You're not a genius. <laughs> There's a reason you've got a teacher's chair and not a normal, uncomfortable blue one. <laughs> oh, well, Frank, thank you so, so much for joining us. It's been uh, it's been cracking. Absolutely loved it. So um, where can everyone find you? Do you say you've got, you're on Instagram? Yeah. Um, yes, I've got an Instagram account and a Twitter account. Frank Cottrell will be at Twitter. Yeah, you can follow me there, and yeah. And then, the, and is the new book available to order pre-order now? Yes, pre-order is great. Please pre-order because it gets added onto your. This is like such a movie thing, isn't it? Gets added onto your first weekend sales. Yeah, yeah. Good. Then you get into a better place in the bookshop. Yeah. And maybe even the window. So your pre-sales are so so important because that's how you get into a position where you can get more sales. Otherwise, you just get put on a shelf and forgotten about so yeah that'd be good yeah and the no. instagram like because as this is for teachers i've used my instagram to, to make because there's no coverage of children's books there's no, no cultural conversation there's very little reviews so my instagram is not very personal it's it's kind of a permanent children's book festival so you'll find interviews with all kinds of children's writers reading their own chapters like um i'm going to do hillary mckay this week right Danny wallace on there uh Patient Zach Barney is on there, like lots and lots of uh, Catherine Rundle, all those people. So it's like a permanent, you can hear them reading chapters of their own work. You can see me interviewing them. Oh, it's a permanent little digital children's book festival. Oh, brilliant. Super. Yeah, we've been talking, we've got a book coming out in in, um, in August. So yeah, we found out that about pre-orders. Best title for any book ever, I think. Put a paper towel on it. So oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's very very exciting we're learning a lot about the whole sort of process of writing a book editing copy editing all that sort of stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes it is yeah yeah, yeah. all right well thank you so so much and um yeah we'll uh We'll put all the links into the description of the episode, but thank you so, so much. It's been a joy to be on it. Oh, yeah, thank it's been you. a pleasure, Cheers. mate. Lovely to Take meet you. Yeah. Hey, listener, do you have a story to tell? Just like the podcast you're listening to now? With Acast, it couldn't be easier to start a podcast. We have all the essential tools you need. From recording and editing audio, to sharing and promoting your show, 
You can even make money from your podcast all in one place. Basically, we handle all the boring stuff, so you can focus on having fun and creating exactly what you want to share with the world. Get started with a three-month trial of our paid plan using the promo START. Just visit go.acast.com start.